1: you know it trashy divorces into season two putting Blum. a lid on this like cj craig boom our, our lit it. arbitrarily defined
2: episode season because
1: we boom. can't read a calendar we're
2: pretty bad at calendars in truth hey um, y'all thank you
1: yeah thank you thank you for two seasons of trashy divorces mm-hmm. it's amazing stacy how many countries We're getting a whole new world geography lesson? It
2: goes up a whole lot all the time, but right now we are sitting at 121 countries where we, we, this podcast has been downloaded, which is like mind-boggling. I didn't I, know there were 100. Like we're I, learning. I, we're going to figure out how many countries there are to know like how far we can go with
1: that metric. Thanks, listeners. Thanks for taking a chance on our trashy little podcast. Thanks for telling your friends and laughing with us and crying with us. When you walk your dogs on Sunday morning, thanks for emailing us mm-hmm. with your hidden trash candy stories that delight us in ways that you'll never know. I really do need to get better about a tears warning. There are okay. some tears in this up. There are some tears uh, in your part of this. up. <laughs> uh, y'all are the very best. Thanks for tuning in and getting on board with, the team trash candy that we are totally yeah over on Patreon
2: incredible yeah I think we're at eighty eight right now patrons eighty
1: eight what the hell is that about
2: it's it's outstanding we appreciate your support
1: so much so if you're into Patreon you can't get enough trashy divorces there are a few different levels over there for two bucks a month you can get early ad free access to episodes some stickers a magic mirror shout out and bonus content of our trashy tidbits on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if you think that is a deal, what do the people get for five bucks, Stacy, a dollar and a quarter a week for $5. Gosh, you get
2: all of that. And uh, then there are the limited series like fun with done
1: trashy tutors, 10 bucks a month. You get all that. Plus two bonus divorces every month, one by each of us, for stories a little too scandalous or off the beaten track. You and I are both loving the community that is building on Patreon. If you like what we're doing here, you can't get enough trashy divorces, please consider joining us over there. It is bonus content bonanza.
2: It really is. We have kind of gotten into a routine Where we're recording, I don't know, like four days a week with stuff. Good Lord, Um, all the time. It's neat. We're trying to give you a value. We really enjoy doing this. And anyway, so that's very cool. Um, Alicia, do you think we can maybe get to 100 patrons by the end of June?
1: I don't know. What do we do if we get 12 more patrons by the end of the month? What do you want us to do? We're in to make a goal.
2: Yeah. Let's talk about who did join us yeah, on Patreon. Yeah, Magic Mirror this Time. Stacy, who you got? I have Regina, Jessica, Kelsey, and Nicole. Oh, Vanessa and Margaret and Elizabeth and Shannon. Nice. Then we have Tiffany, Jacob, Erica, and Jen.
1: Welcome to the Patreon community, folks. Yep. We hope you enjoy. We'll Super fun over it. there. Welcome. Get caught up. And hey, End of season two this week's episode. Filled with triumph and tragedy. All of it. Ah, Girls With Guitars, Mary Chapin Carpenter. If you don't know about Mary Chapin Carpenter, you should get to know her. This particular song, Girls With Guitars, was released in June 1994 as the fifth single from the album Tell Me Why by Wynona Judd. Song reached number 10. On Billboard Hot Country Singles and Tracks chart. as Mama, Naomi, who we may have some feelings about soon. And Lyle Lovett, sing background on the song. Mary Chavin Carpenter's a badass. I will talk about her anytime I can. Does she have a trashy divorce? She doesn't have the trashiest of divorces, but she is going to be the theme song to the Ernest Hemingway divorce coming in season three. I love her. Okay. More tears. Future warning. Okay. Who do you have this week for Girls With Guitars? We have two country western music tragedies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Triumphs and tragedies.
2: Yeah, super. Uh, I've got uh, Shania Twain, uh-huh. whose life has just had deep, deep lows and tall, tall highs. And I, she is resilient in ways that it's hard to even capture. She's just... Super cool, highly emotive. All the halos. Totally competent, frequently misunderestimated. I believe that's the word.
1: Yeah, try me. Yeah. Yeah. Who you got? Oh, why Nona? Why Nona? She, all she needs is a name. Yeah. She did drop Judd and took on her last husband's name when they married in 2012, Mosier. But why Nona? You just need one name. And- yeah. All the country song that is that story, there are tears. There are tears. (laughs) It's a country song. You got everything. Pull out your Trashy Divorces bingo card, y'all. All right. You ready
2: to take our country and western garbage out, Alicia? Giddy up. Giddy up. Let's do it. Let's do it.
1: Hey Stacy. Hey Alicia. I know whose bed your boots have been under this week. Uh, research <laughs> research <laughs> wise, my research boots. Your research boots have been under super busy. A research bed? Talk to me. Tell me about your trashy divorce of the week. It's uh
2: it's it's the wife swap that swamped <laughs> Nashville. It's I don't know. It's got it's it's a little trashy and surprisingly it is a very wholesome person. Who we all know as Shania Twain. Tell me.
1: yeah, I know the high level details, but I want to hear your rendering. Sure. Of how this trash baggery happens.
2: Right. She is, to be clear, which spoilers, not a trash bag. Unless my alternate theory of the case is true. But let's let's get there. Let's get there. I
1: think Shania's already got halos in my world, but okay. All right. Let's go. Well, the
2: Shania Twain you think you know is a fraud because her real name is Eileen. I don't know if you knew that.
1: Come on, Eileen.
2: (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Shania Twain was born Eileen Regina Edwards. She was born into pretty tough circumstances, like her mom, uh, she was born in rural Ontario, Canada. Her parents divorced when she was but two years old. She has two, two sisters at this point. A few years later, her mother, name of Sharon, marries Jerry Twain... New stepdad. New stepdad. Going would um, be great to her. He adopts... We're going to just go with Shania, since that is the name everyone knows her by, okay. who is not a close friend of hers. Anyway, so um, he adopts Shania, who is still Eileen at that point, but come on. And her two sisters... I, I think
1: you mean, come on, Eileen. Come
2: on, Eileen. <laughs> uh, her two sisters, Jill and Carrie Ann. And later, Sharon and Jerry have a son, Mark, and then they adopt jerry's nephew daryl after daryl's mother dies okay so like it is very quickly a very big family
1: but daryl probably had no place to go if they didn't adopt him i would think like they're kind of an abject poverty
2: right well and it's worth noting too that jerry is part of the ojibwe first nations i'm not even sure as an american we would say native american but obviously in canada it is first Nations. canadian well it's first nations people so i don't you know what like Please, Canadian listeners, let me know how I should be phrasing that. Like Jerry Twain is First Nations; he is Ojibwe. I am, anyway. So, hey to, Canada, so, thanks for tuning in. You, but rock. but I think the let us know. I think the family network thing. Like, there's a there there are layers to this that include ethnicity, like there's just a lot happening here is okay, talk to is me. kind of my point. However, they are very, very, very poor and like food was scarce. like this family frequently went hungry. and the area that, that young Shania is growing up in is really it's dependent on resource extraction. so it's like timber and minerals. there are like gold and copper mines, stuff like that. but that type of industry is really subject to boom and bust cycles. Yeah. so yeah so yikes so like for years stuff was really really hard on this family and there was she also um jerry beat her mother i don't know if it was a frequent thing oh, but she certainly no. witnessed jerry beat her mother did jerry beat the kid, or just the mom not that i not that i have seen indication of. not just the mom that sounded not that, at
1: all correct it, it's, but these are difficult topics to talk about like, Kids should in no way be. No woman should be responsible for bearing that. No kid should be responsible for seeing that. Agreed, but you know it is.
2: Uh, it's a family structure where there's just a lot of stress because there is scarcity. Like, it's it's tough. It's a tough situation she is very afraid that if her school finds out that they're going hungry that you know dad hits mom like that the school will call authorities break the family up so shania from a very young age is very driven to keep the family together like Mm. that is
1: that is like a core childhood thing
2: yeah that again you're just you're completely right this is Not stuff that should be on the shoulders of a seven-year-old, but here we
1: are. Now your childhood things sure stay with you to adulthood. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned for my story. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, Shania, uh, in order to help out, or, I mean, take your pick, because her parents were exploiting her, take your pick, for real. So she has always lifelong love of music, lifelong interest in music, early display of musical talents. When Shania is eight years old, her parents began taking her to bars Excuse me? to sing after what? Last Call at midnight.
1: Like Mark Twain's Talking Frog, just like bunch of a bunch of drunks? Like what?
2: Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home, Alabama. <laughs> Look at you! You have a baby! In a, in a bar! bar. <laughs> that is what I imagine people, except it was drunks, like eight-year-old... Last call. Eight-year-old Shania
1: Twain learns... I bet that's a sight to see if you're drunk at midnight in Canada.
2: Learns that drunks are the worst, but also frequently takes home 20 bucks for that one hour of... Again, eight years old, midnight to 1 a.m. What a crap ton of
1: responsibility for a kid.
2: Yeah, and I bet that that 20 bucks was frequently the difference between, like, I don't know, gas money to get to work or not, or Or food food. or not. Like... (sighs) Mm. really tough but you know also kind of an amazing education for a young aspiring musician in its own weird way i'm not encouraging anyone to take their eight-year-old to a bar to sing at midnight because because you have your baby because now we have this thing called a bar agencies to protect children (laughs) no but i get like i grew up in a middle-class household like this was just it, this is a different story, okay? <laughs> different story. Okay. You have your baby in, in a, a
1: bar. bar. Okay. Around Go the ahead.
2: age of 10, Shania starts writing songs, and this would become...
1: She's had a lot of experience at the bar. <laughs>
2: God, so many things to write about. <laughs> Jesus. By the age of 10, Shania Twain is a country music
1: song. <laughs> it's-
2: Okay, and it's funny uh, when
1: it's true.
2: <laughs> at thirteen, she was invited to perform on a CBC country music show on TV. Nice.
1: Took a train. We love the CBC down to Toronto, Ooh, big city, big mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. Hello, city. Any B and L people out there? Oh, God. Oh, Dude, I love it. Okay, so you are pandering no, to I, the I, Canadian I love audience. Canada, <laughs> I love them. They're my favorite.
2: Okay, high school years. She sings in a cover band. She, you know, lives to see her family's financial situation improve. Like, Jerry starts a business of forest restoration in oh, Northern that's Ontario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the summers, like, this is... So as somebody who spent two years in Alaska, because my dad was Army, the, this really, this part really resonated with me. So the Twain family in the summer, like, heads out to, you know, whatever section of, of Northern Ontario that... Basically, Jerry's company is planting trees, in. okay, and they are doing really, really hard physical labor all day. They're hauling, you know, tree like young trees, digging holes, planting trees. Also, it's bear country, which means you don't you don't use soaps with scents, you don't use deodorant, you don't use shampoo with scents. You rinse your clothes in the lake. You what? Don't, yeah, bears are really sensitive to like they're really inquisitive, and so if you smell funny that you will draw bears they're super like you have to hang your food and bags from trees so that the bears hopefully can't climb the tree and get it it's a whole this whole like when when i was a kid in a lot like they had bear bells like if you're gonna go pick blueberries in you know out out of town you wear bells because you do not want to, to disturb a bear you don't want to come upon it unawares
1: and surprise a bear it's very bad Okay, first, look, who's pandering now, Canadians? <laughs> but second, the Great Courses trash candy of Trashy Divorces always surprises me. Hmm. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. it's About um, bear things.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a really di- – because I camped in Colorado, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Same thing. I mean, there, there are bears up in the Rockies, and it's – like, no perfume. You have to be... Yeah, I think it's a little... It's not as remote. Like, it's... I don't think the rules are quite as stringent. It's just... It's a re... It's different. You know? Like, we joke about how there are, like, little black bears in North Georgia, but they're... Like, it's not a they're thing. They're little baby cutie pie kittens they're compared kitten. they're to kitten Canadian bears. bears? Well, compared to a grizzly bear, <laughs> yes.
1: Okay, so plant trees. Plant not trees.
2: bathing with soap. Not bathing. So, Shania says later probably in her autobiography, quote, it was a very rugged existence, but I was very creative and I would sit alone in the forest with my dog and a guitar and just write songs. Like in a lot of ways, this super remote out in the wilderness all summer long thing, it really worked for her.
1: And sing to the bears?
2: Yeah. But I mean, we will see later that her, when she is famous and has the resources to do whatever she wants, she consistently chooses to live in really remote places. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. So she graduates high school in 1983, and she is laser focused on music. She joins a little touring band. They are driving around Ontario, Canada, in a busted up van or something. Living and, the dream, like playing dirty bars, getting paid fifty bucks, like Love it. getting ripped off, like drunks throwing beer. I'm sure I whatever. I'm just making stuff up now, but. Anyway, but it was that kind of thing. It was a, but
1: like living the early, totally. I have a dream musician. I day. am
2: 18. I just music is my life. Yeah. Okay. So she takes vocal lessons. She even visits Nashville a couple of times to try to make some things happen professionally, but she's not super, like she is not sold on like, I want to be a country music singer in the same way. Like a lot of. Tammy Wynette wanted to be a country music singer. My whole dream is she, to be at the
1: Grand Old Opry. She, yeah,
2: she didn't. She wanted to be that a singer. Her. She wanted to be a country music singer. Like Shania loves music, and she's she loves country music, but it's not. I don't think she was as. I don't know. Uh, what is it? Orthodox about it? As okay. some of the other people we've she just covered. Wants to play, and she wants to write the songs she wants music to write. And she is my wants life. to. Yeah. So. You know, and this uh, this sort of inability to zero in, it does cause some friction with some of her compatriots at the time. Come on, Eileen. Get hip with the kids these days. I mean, come on. Okay, so, <laughs> hey, next tragedy in a life that things are just starting to look up in. No. On uh, November 1st, 1987, oh. Shania Twain's parents are killed instantly in a car crash. <sighs> By now, she's living outside of Toronto. She is hooked into a music scene. She is beginning to even get some like high profileish gigs here and there. Like,
1: she's got her life figured out as much as you can for being in your early twenties, right? Um, and what happens? She, this uh. kid who
2: wouldn't tell her school that there was no food at home, she's committed to keeping the family together. So she moves back to rural northern Ontario. She ends up finding a job. Uh, she, so she was raised mostly in Timmins, Ontario. She finds a job 500 miles away, ah. the town of Huntsville, Ontario, which is funny as I was only this morning in Huntsville, Alabama. Alabama. So she gets a job at a resort that basically has like a musical variety show as its entertainment. Okay. And this is her job. So she moves the family 500 miles to this other ultra remote outpost in Northern Ontario but there is... But she can keep she can everybody work in together, in music. together. She can keep everybody and together. And work in music. Work in
1: music. So it's... I mean, it's, you know... Hey... Win-win out of a shitty situation. Yeah, life
2: is complicated, and her life is super complicated. Because, again, yeah, she's, like, in her early 20s, suddenly mom to a bunch of... Like, her siblings.
1: God, that is tough.
2: All of whom are grieving. All, like, it's just... It's terrible. So, okay, she's singing and dancing and whatever it's it's really her life i did not know that there was this much tragedy and loss in her life and and just just pressures and complexities of poverty and all of that like no idea okay
1: Like you never really know anybody's struggle
2: yeah 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 all right so let's fast forward to 1992 1993 that time frame okay i guess daryl Is the youngest, I'm not sure, Mike or Daryl, whoever's the youngest, graduates from high school. Moves out, gets a job. Oh, I got some freedom. Kids have flown the coop. Great. Mm, Yeah. Everybody is off to a a start. Don't know if it's a good one, but everybody's getting their groove on.
1: I've put my dreams on
2: hold long enough. I think this is a family that they have learned to be resourceful in ways that most people never will. uh, Probably including me. So... Uh everybody's graduated. She is really really ready to finally stop putting her dreams on hold and like go figure out how to do music for real, her music. So, she's 25 years old. I guess she loads up a car, drives down to Nashville, and she is actually signed by Mercury Nashville Records within a few months of arriving in
1: Nashville. Wowza.
2: Yeah. So the unfortunate thing about that is that like if you're a young and beautiful up-and-comer in the Nashville scene, the music business in Nashville is not really designed for you. It is a machine that is designed to generate formulaic country music hits, and that machine does not allow young artists to experiment in any way or really to deviate from that formulaic script at all. Like It's just not what that machine is there to do. That machine is there to make country music hits. They have an army of country songwriters in and around Nashville, who are constantly churning out material in the hope of having more hit songs. I mean, it's, it's a thing. It's an industry. It's very, it is a very well-worn path.
1: Tell me how you feel about the Nashville machine, Stacey.
2: (sighs) I feel like it's very limiting if you are not willing to squeeze yourself like precisely into that particular bucket. And Shania Twain...
1: Like, really wasn't comfortable doing that. She well, is not is the only one. This years ago, right? 30 years ago. Yeah, the 90s. This is 30 years ago. So, look at. I kind of love that Taylor Swift has wedged her way into that. Yeah. Casey Musgraves. We have Brandi Carlisle. We have some new people that are doing that differently. But let's give a shout out to the trendsetters yeah. and pathbreakers. Because, yeah,
2: let's talk about what happens. So some of the stuff that Nashville did that was not cool with her first they didn't like her name they loved Eileen they didn't love Twain they just felt like they didn't go together Twain's the best part of that I name. know they wanted her to drop Twain and she did not want to drop Twain. like that was Jerry's name like and yeah there was vi- like whatever it's complicated right like that is her family I hate so him, but I love him and I like this name yeah. And I don't even know that she hated it. Like I, I really, again, I, I, my background has none of that. Like it's complex. So she decides, Hey guys, I'm keeping Twain. How about I change that first name to Shania, which is based on what seems to be a possibly misunderstood hearing of an Ojibwe word. Cause again, Jerry, was, you know, Ojibwe First Nations. She believed that this word meant on my way, and there is an Ojibwe word along these kinda like, like that. Yeah, it's like a phrase really. Anyway, you know, sweet ballpark. Hey. Aiming for people are your people. You know, pulling pops into the forefront, like Love it. gonna gonna run with it. Like so they Nashville agrees. Okay, Shania Twain works. Eileen Twain didn't, I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> Nashville opened its arms to Shania more or less this way. Welcome to Nashville. Do what we say, and you may get to have a career in country music. They liked her look. They liked her voice. They liked her new name. But they were not interested in her songs. Oh. Yeah. So she makes an entire record that was almost exclusively other people's songs. She got a co-writing credit on God Ain't Gonna Get You For That. One
1: song on her debut album. She gets a co-writing. Credit on. Like, this is the girl who's singing songs in the forest to her dog and the bears. Mm hmm. Who's been writing songs since she was 10, mm-hmm. 13. Mm hmm. This is her fucking dream. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Jerks. So, yeah, she records this album. They slap her
2: new name onto it. They put a picture of her on the tundra with a wolf. Because she's Canadian. Get it? But uh, not a bear. Not a bear. That. Well she was probably wearing Would some Would have been more apropos. She's probably wearing some she probably shampooed that morning. And so they, <laughs> so couldn't, they couldn't bring the they couldn't live bear. <laughs> couldn't bring the bear. <laughs> the the ring bear. Ring bear hers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um Yeah, on the topic of how I met your mother jokes, let's just insert some Robin Sparkles jokes here. <laughs> she's going to the mall. Anyway, uh in in fairness to the Nashville Machine though. Because, again, these guys know what they're doing. That's why they do it this way. This debut record from this completely unknown Canadian singer ends up on number 67 on the Billboard Country Music Charts. That's pretty amazing. It peaks at number 28 in Canada. It hits number three. Get this. The United Kingdom has Country Music Charts. Nuh-uh. and shania twain singing other people's songs on what? her debut record goes to number three on them
1: okay england we're gonna pander for a second the united kingdom loves have, shania twain yeah do you have country music stars in the uk or do you i'm just trying to think of the american chart and here's the irony to top out ironies you know why the uk likes her she's no. fucking canadian <laughs> she's not even american like, I know you're probably going to get to her hit success, but maybe it's changed. But I love the number one selling country artist is from Kanata. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. All right. The record is
2: a modest success in the United States. And, you know, and she's cute. She's cute. She's got a great voice. She like, there's nothing wrong with Shania Twain. She's the package. Yes. Yep. So she was an accomplished musician and songwriter. She had put her dreams on hold for years for her family, and now a bunch of music industry lamos are telling her that it's not the right time for her to play her own songs. Now, what? Fuck off, man. Yeah, additionally, this was, you know, approximately in the heyday of music videos. Um, so, all right. Gather round, children. Once upon a time, there was a thing called MTV. There was a thing called VH1. Video and all they, the played,
1: star. all they
2: played were music videos.
1: Oh, the videos were good. They were not
2: just like reality TV content engines. They played music videos.
1: Anyway, did we mention the music videos were good? Oh, a, a lot of them really it were good. really was. That was water cooler talk in middle school. hmm mm-hmm. In elementary school and middle school and high school. Did you see the I new... feel like you
2: may have gone to a higher class of middle school than I did because we didn't... We had water fountains, of course. It all tasted like lead. <laughs> Metaphorically, sure, it
1: was <laughs> Water cooler talk at the middle school. Okay. What video was hot?
2: Totally. I remember... um Because we had, we had VCRs and I remember recording (laughs) because MTV would debut music videos. I remember recording them them over and over and over. Mm -hmm. My parents thought I was crazy, but I was 11. I was. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, music videos are a big thing at this time. And Mercury Nashville decides like, you know what? We can drop a ton of money on making a tour for you shania twain who will maybe one day be famous maybe or, or we can drop a little bit of money and just use music videos to promote your work so guess what <laughs> you're not going on tour and this was nashville's decision pretty sure but i mean that even but, uh, yielded
1: who won that war
2: Haha. ha, ha. <laughs> uh, so this does yield some results uh in europe she wins the rising video star of the year award super nice like europe really loves shania twain and always has like they they knew it when nashville didn't and so let's let's give europe and the united kingdom some credit here we're clearly pandering to everyone <laughs> friends across the pond. friends across the pond we're just hoping someone might Issue us refugee status at some point and take us in. Anyway. Okay, so the album comes out April of nineteen ninety-three. Not very long after this, Shania Twain's phone rings. And on the far end of the line was the beautifully accented, I'm sure, voice of one Robert John Mutt Lang, a South African rock and roll producer who is both seventeen years older than her and even then responsible for some of the biggest selling rock albums of all time.
1: Da, 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 da. He
2: produced ACDC's Highway to Hell and Back in Black. He produced most of Def Leppard's catalog. And he's not just a music producer. This guy is one of the most mega talented songwriters in the history of modern music. I mean, I don't know what to say here. Like, here's. No, what you say is he's
1: K O A B D.
2: He's, he's kind, kind of, of a big, big deal. deal. Uh, yeah. He's He's not kind of a big deal. He, okay, so here's some of the songs that he wrote or co wrote Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Other artists that he has uh, written or co-written hits for, Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, Michael Bolton, Billy Ray Cyrus, Celine Dion, Dionne Warwick, Hart, Huey Lewis and the News, Loverboy, Loving Every Minute of It, that's his reba (laughs) mcintyre starship and carrie underwood and that's like not complete do
1: you know my favorite part about that what was you did that list in alphabetical order in the dewey decimal soul that lives within me loved all of that it's because i lifted it directly from the wikipedia page where you can get the full list i know where your boots are yeah well boots are in the research baby
2: All right, so Mutt Lang was calling because he had been a country music fan since he was a kid, and he really liked what she was up to. Like, he really... And this guy knows talent. Gee, you're kind of cute. So they talked, you know, they talked on the phone. They talked about her songwriting. She played him songs on the phone. He was really surprised to learn that Nashville wasn't letting her use her own music. Shaka! So they spent, I don't know, a couple months... Chatting each other up on the phone. Spark, flirting sparking. With each
1: other on the, oh.
2: Uh, yeah, flirting, yeah. sparking, like getting to know each other. But yeah, they spend a couple months becoming flirting. becoming phone friends. And then Mutt comes to Nashville for the Nashville Fan Fair in June of 1993. So again, like this is all happening very fast because. So they're doing the
1: early love thing of talk on their phone for hours and hours every night. I think so. I think uh. so
2: i saw um That's fun, love i'm not even sure i just saw one clip on youtube it was like a five minute thing of of their it was a dramatization of, of their early and weirdly so the south african accent is just lovely but i think the actor who was playing my was australian and i was like that is not the right
1: accent <laughs> but it was still h.o.t let's pander to australia <laughs> since we're into it let's... And, and
2: south africa anyway done done um, and done okay
1: worldwide listeners you rock
2: so again so they meet for the first time in person in june they are married in december
1: why yeah six months
2: yeah <sighs> it is a june december relationship because he's a lot older see that's a joke
1: <laughs> wait yeah <laughs> no. I mean, he's 17 years older right but six months yeah that's pretty quick yeah
2: december twenty eight, ninety three. 93
1: shania loved that Mutt. he's into all of the her I, I guess that's got to be a pretty powerful lore.
2: I think that I think that there is like cosmic creative like Fleetwood explosion happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it was like I think I like it would be weird if they had not fallen in love. Like I think these two connected musically so directly that like it just it would just be impossible galaxy, for them. Mm-hmm. New planet. I love yep. it. So yeah, in the space of maybe two years, Shania Twain has gone from being Eileen Twain, the orphaned matriarch of siblings of the Canadian Sticks, to Shania Twain, minor hit maker <laughs> in Nashville's country music scene, and the new wife of one of rock and roll's
1: biggest hit making talents. Legend. I wonder what's coming next. So we're on the podcast Smart Marriages, right? Yes. Like it's going to be fine. It's a happy ending.
2: For a long time, it's going to be so much better than fine.
1: Okay, talk to me.
2: Okay. Shania goes to London where Mutt has like this, I don't know, I just assume it's like some sort of castle of hit making music factory stuff, like Secret Hogwarts music studio. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so they're they're in she's away from Nashville. She's away from everybody telling her what she can't do. And she and Mutt Lang are writing music. They're writing good music. They're writing exciting music.
1: Are there bears?
2: they in the are, London studio? They're not that I am aware of. Sorry. I think she can wear whatever fragrances she wants. He probably uses shampoo. I'm a
1: little silly. Carry on.
2: (laughs) All right. So (laughs) these two lovebirds settle into some freewheeling, cosmic, creative destiny thing. And they spend the better part of the next year writing and improving songs together. Gotta say, like, Mutt Lang and his presence in Shania Twain's life does not endear her to Nashville. Because he... He is from rock and roll. He's a rebel. He's a. He's. He kind of does his own jam. He's a foreign guy who makes heavy metal music. Like, that's just how they view him. Like, it's really, like, whatever. You don't have a cowboy hat. Yeah. Well, you know who can write a country music hit? Mutt Lang. <laughs> Shania introduced him to the Bears. Yes. Okay. So, um, you know, Nashville, like, they still were not interested in her beyond the fact that she had good looks and a good voice. Like that was, they know how to use a commodity like that. But She's still under contract, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's still with Mercury Nashville. Yeah. She's still, that's her record label, but it just, it's just, you know, you look at this and like Nashville has a template and she fits the template. They could make her successful probably, but, they just felt like her striving to do something, you know, of her own vision was unseemly somehow. It's just
1: a weird... She broke the template. She
2: broke the template. And thank God someone did. And we I it's... love template breakers. But we both know that, like, I have I have known people who write music in Nashville. <laughs> that template is still there.
1: Oh, the template's there for sure, but she really did... There's
2: more wiggle room, I think, now, uh-huh. but
1: there was yeah there was just not that much Wiggle okay room. february 7
2: 1995 mercury nashville releases shania twain's second album it is called the woman in me it's a good album all of the songs are written or co-written by shania and mutt and the first single whose bed have your boots been under shoots up to number 11 on the billboard country chart Next single, Any Man of Mine, hits number one on the country chart and becomes a top 40 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. All in all, this album lands four number one songs. It was a monster seller, and it announced to the entire world that capital letters Shania Twain had arrived. So this is cool. In her autobiography from this moment on, Shania wrote... One year after its release, the CD had sold almost 3.2 million copies and it would eventually surpass 15 million.
0: That is amazing.
2: Making The Woman and Me the top selling album by a female artist in the history of country music.
1: Whoa. She
2: goes on to list, you know, the women who've paved the way before her, like Patsy Klein, Tammy Wynette, Dolly Parton, and says it is beyond humbling. It is mind boggling. It really is. This kid's Canadian kid
1: who's the top of the charts of the country Sk-
2: skates into nashville chafes a little at its at, at its nashvilleness marries a south african like heavy metal hit maker and then and then becomes like a legend
1: we're living in america
2: no they're not no they're not <laughs> but
1: you get my like it's the dream it's the country oh, yeah. western dream oh, but yeah. look at what she's done for artists that come after her and breaking that i've got a super cool story like on that note too
2: i know shania there's there's so much cool stuff in this anyway so this
1: this, the record You think i'm crazy when i'm like hey you may want to research this
2: i always think you're crazy the record (laughs) wins uh grammy for best country album the academy of country music names it album of the year shania was named best new female vocalist in all of the hullabaloo and hustle, she was actually really stressed about the self created deadline she'd made for writing, recording, and releasing the follow up album, which would be called Come On Over.
1: You thought The Woman in Me was good. Right.
2: Yeah. So this album was Whoa. a calculated risk uh, because apparently it's very difficult for country stars to become crossover, you know, pop stars, I'd dance stars. It. Yep. Shania Twain did this. <laughs> oh yeah shania twain accomplished that um she had you know had this earlier ambivalence about i think not just not wanting to be typecast into a particular genre
1: it's just the music you guys it's just the music music. is cool music is my life
2: music is good so come on over featured crossover hits like you're still the one and man i feel like a woman come on over spent two years on the charts plural because it was a hit in pop and country back up Two years? years, wow! Two years. What the hell? A hundred and four weeks. I, I think that's right.
1: Man,
2: I feel like a woman. I feel like two years it's on a, the charts. It's a long Does time. that
1: happen anymore?
2: I don't even know how because at I that time there was no streaming. I don't even know how charts are compiled anymore. Good lord! So, anyway. Charts being plural because it's a hit in both pop and country, it has gone on to sell. Are you ready? No. 40 million copies. Excuse
1: me? 40 mm-hmm.
2: million. At the time of this writing, it is the biggest selling album of all time by a female musician of any genre.
1: Not just not pop, not rock, not anybody, anywhere, every time.
2: Apparently, no other female recording artist has sold
1: a 40 million seller record. I don't think we need to pander to Canada. I think Canada (laughs) has it fucking down. (laughs) Just saying. Okay.
2: In 1998, new challenge. She sinks her teeth into a giant world tour. This takes her across North America, Australia, Europe. And this was the moment that finally shut Nashville up about Shania Twain and all the ways that she wasn't right. Because like with the earlier albums, all the little wagging tongues of the Nashville establishment had sort of like amused themselves by speculating that Shania didn't tour because Shania couldn't sing. Well, fuck you.
1: So have you heard about my bare audience?
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> so on the road, uh, this is very, very cool. So she holds radio contests in the towns that she's headed to. And the winner of the radio contest gets to come on stage and perform What Made You Say That, while, you know, Shania did backing vocals, oh, that's super basically. super cool. Yeah. So, notably, at the Carell Center in Ottawa, a 14-year-old named Avril Levine won the contest and got the slot. One year later, this kid is signed to Arista Records. You're joking. I am not. They also both got Lyme disease later.
1: Shit. It's like they're the same. The trash same. candy divorce course that this is? Is amazing. So
2: during this tour, um, she wins two Grammys. Come On Over and The Woman and Me both become Diamond Certified. She appears on VH1 Divas with Celine Dion, Gloria Estefan, Mariah Carey, and Aretha Franklin, which must have just been a dream come
1: true. Oh, I remember watching that. Yeah. It was badass. Cool. Yeah, because yeah. we used to watch that shit when music right. was on music video stations. Yeah, it's
2: weird how there used to be these things. Anyway. She played an Amnesty International benefit concert with Bruce Springsteen, Peter Gabriel, Radiohead, and Alanis Morissette, another Canadian. Who actually, I think, is the role model for Robin
1: Sparkles.
2: Oh, I think you're right, actually. Yes, I love you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But But let's go to the mall. Continue with your story.
2: She plays uh, Denver's Coors Amphitheater, like, it was weeks after the Columbine High School massacre, and she donated like, all of the proceeds to the school. How many Halos did she get for that? Like, a billion? Like, a billion. Like, all the trash, all the intergalactic trash cans that Tom Cruise got last week, like, that's how many Halos Shania gets this week. Perfect. She's basically... I love this. She's basically amazing. It's amazing. Unless my alternate theory is correct
1: no your alternate theory is awesome
2: okay so she was a superstar with an instantly recognizable face everywhere in the world and to attain some semblance of normalcy in their lives mutt had a suggestion let's move
1: to switzerland <laughs> which sounds a little weird but that's what tina turner did to da-da, 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 da-da. any swiss friends this is your secret message your if you heard us before yeah like it Switzerland is a nice place to be. It is. And they, so they get
2: a Swiss chateau. um, They spend New Year's of 2000 just, you know, overlooking Lake Geneva. They're overlooking the French and Swiss Alps. Like it's, it's cool. It's It's a dream. It's like a small town. She can go to the grocery store and nobody bothers her. Like no one knows. Nobody knows she's famous. Nobody cares. Perfect. You know, like, oh, there's a country music star and a record producer, you know, up in the chalet, like. Ah, I'm busy doing they Swiss still need things. Cheese. Let's sell them cheese and wine. Let's sell them cheese, Pierre.
1: I, okay, wee oui, wee. Oui. That's not Swiss at all, but wine. Go ahead.
2: So, <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, so she could shop. She could go sightseeing. People weren't mobbing her. Tourists would ask her directions because they didn't know she wasn't a local. Like. Like gosh, you look a lot like Shania Twain. Do you know where the Je ne sais is? Yeah, no, this is not Swiss at all. I don't know what language you speak there, but French. As oh, they parfait, <laughs> as they renovated <laughs> the chateau, they both found that their French skills were uh, sorely lacking. Oh, so they, non. well, so they hired. <laughs> don't show off yours. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, so they uh, they hired a French woman named... I can
1: read it great. I trust. The speaking leaves a little to be deserved as influenced by what actually got presented at our dinner table in France. Oof. I had great luck saying red wine everywhere I went.
2: <laughs> You're winning. Um. Okay. So they hire a French woman named Marie-Anne Thibaud to be their assistant and translator because basically they've got all these like work crews in their house because they're renovating this old chateau and they can't like the contractors. As we know, plenty of people who speak a different first language in Europe speak great English, but like the carpenter you know, didn't like the bricklayers didn't. So anyway, so they hire an assistant and there are like just a million little ways the day-to-day life in any country in Europe is different from the United States is different from Canada. And it's just hard to quantify. So Shania ends up really relying on Marie-Anne to like learn how a parking meter works there. Like it's just, it's the little things that like, I know when I was in Canada one time, and they were using the type of credit card, like, put your card in thing that we use here now, but they hadn't rolled out here yet. Uh, and so, like, the waiter brings the thing over, and I'm like, what do I do with this? What do I do? And he had to explain it to me. Like, it's just the little things, but but it's it's really, it's constant. Yeah, and it's, assimilating to a different culture it's is a big deal. disorienting, yeah. So... So Marie-Anne was Shania's Switzerland Sherpa, and while they weren't fast friends, <laughs> uh, they developed, like, a really deep friendship, and they both became pregnant around the same time, so...
1: New BFFs!
2: Yeah, and all of her, like, her sisters, like, all her female support network is, you know, back in North Half America. a world away. Yeah, yeah, so, so they bond. Like, they get, re- like, they become best friends. So on that topic Mutt had not particularly been interested in being a dad but he wasn't opposed to it. And like he just seems like a super eccentric guy. He's he has not given an interview to journalists since I think the 1980s. Like he has not been a public person. He's created some of the most memorable music of the last two generations but he is not a public person. He is committed to being behind the scenes. Like He is not, in the public eye, devoted to that. Uh, he's, it's really interesting. He doesn't drink. He's a strict vegetarian. He follows, I don't know if he would, I don't know if this is a religion or a faith path or a spiritual journey, but it's like inspired by a 13th century Indian religious movement. I don't know. Weird dude, probably super interesting in person.
1: Is Also a Scorpio. Shania is a Libra. Oh. So there are going to be some different things in that relationship that we will follow up with with Trashy Tidbits this week.
2: Okay. Because I've
1: taken it upon myself to do your nostrology Mm -hmm. for this because it's about to get bad. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yeah, I think the big takeaway for me there is that, you know, eight-year-old Shania learning drunks really suck. Mary's a guy who doesn't drink at all. Like, That's
1: probably a positive. Yeah,
2: I think that made perfect sense. Jump to November 2000. Shania is finally off of her spectacularly successful tour. She finds out she's pregnant. Mutt decides this is fantastic for him and for their family. And luckily, their assistant and increasingly close friend, Marie-Anne, is also pregnant. So, like, Good times all everything around. everything is working out. Well, yeah. Great. So on August 12, 2001, Shania gives birth to their son, this poor child's name is pronounced Asia but it is spelled E J A and I could not help but laugh.
1: How many times do you think that kid's name got mispronounced Like in every, a- every time class, ever every day E-ja? every time.
2: Eja? No, it's Asia. No, it's not. No, it is though. Sorry, I don't mean to mock the the Zinu. person's still a kid so. Okay. Next album comes out <laughs> a little over a year later, November 02. Up, debuts at number one on the Billboard Albums Chart, stays there for five weeks. It was a global smash hit that spawned a Monster World tour that grossed 87 million and 96 shows from 2003 to 2004. I'm sorry, did you say 87 million like in dollars? I mean, I don't think it was paid in scallops, clams, scallops, smackaroos dollars macaronos wow it could have been scallops that's good eating
1: 87 <laughs> 87
2: million scallops, million scallops <laughs> with 96 shows <laughs> the album produced hits like i'm gonna get you good and the ballad forever and for always and then shania twain just kind of faded out of public view what happened so in 2004, she releases a greatest hits album. There's, I think, there are three new tracks on it. She contributed songs here and there to some projects, some soundtracks. She duetted with somebody. You know, like she wasn't completely compilations.
1: Out of, the things you do. Yeah,
2: yeah. Anne Murray was that on the Wikipedia page?
1: Oh, don't even talk to me about Anne Murray, <laughs> Canada bare naked ladies fans. I'm not even pandering now. Okay. But, I mean, fascinatingly, like, Shania Twain really was
2: out of the public eye for years. She and Mutt purchased a property in New Zealand. They were also working on a couple of properties in Switzerland, like, renoing properties in Switzerland. In her book, she says, essentially, renovating properties became my full-time job, and I relished the challenge. My time, energy, and love went into building these nests for my family.
1: Uh, That makes sense. She's making a nest. It does make sense.
2: But there's a lot more that's going on. So it turns out that while she was on tour in 2003, she happened to notice a tick fall off of her body. So she had sustained a tick bite. Oh, no. So after this, she begins suffering dizziness on stage, which is apparently substantial. Like she thought she was going to fall off stage a number of times for, oh. like, for the rest of this tour. Oh. She's diagnosed with Lyme disease, and the Lyme disease, um, along with stress apparently contributes to another condition that flares up for her during this period, which is called dysphonia. Dysphonia is a condition where you have involuntary involuntary spasms in the muscles of the larynx, which, if you are a singer, is a bit of a problem. Oh. So this is going on. She's, like, literally losing her voice.
1: On tour?
2: I think like after I tour, think it's but after yeah so she's yeah like she's kind of chilling at renovating houses and intermittently not able to talk or sing I that don't has know has to be terrifying has to be terrifying meanwhile you know the other thing that was happening was that her marriage to her musical collaborator songwriting collaborator record producer was slowly but surely eroding She wasn't sure what was wrong, but she describes how distant they'd become in her book. Quote, I wanted to save my marriage and work on it, but I could sense that something was almost too seriously wrong between us now, as our communication had dwindled to strained conversation and little to no eye contact, which is not good. Not good. Not good. Nobody. So she was with Asia at the New Zealand property. Mutt had returned to Switzerland for work. She just, like, flips out about all of it at some point calls Marie Ann, her friend and assistant in her Switzerland. BFF. Yeah. And just was like, listen, I don't know what's going on, but like maybe Mutt has been diagnosed with cancer or something and doesn't know how to tell me. Like, can you just keep an eye on him while he's there so uh. that, you know, like, does he look sick? Is he acting weird? Does he have doctor's appointments that I don't know about? Like, just l- let me know if, if you, Something's up. I'm suspicious. Right. And then toward the end of the call, she just suddenly like hears herself say, Do you think he's having an affair? Oh, and no. Marie Ann is like, Eileen, come on. Like, oh wait, I come just on, I did. Eileen, you're being <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> this is why I was gonna stick to Shania. Okay. Marie Ann is like, Shania. You guys live in these like ultra-remote outposts. Like, who would he have an affair with? And she's like, you're right. Okay. I'll-. I
1: have an idea.
2: Yeah. So Shania feels a lot better after this conversation. Oh, your friend like, would make
1: you feel better. Yeah. Fucking you over. Her friend
2: is going to keep an eye on Mutt, oh. is going to let her know if, like, there's signs of illness. Like, everything's coming up
1: roses. <laughs> oh, this is a knife to the
0: heart. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Uh, March 2008, a few weeks after this phone call. She and Mutt return to Switzerland together, with Asia, I'm sure, and by now things are just totally broken. And Shania finally works up the nerve to ask Anne-Marie if something is going on between the two of them. This fucking woman has the gall to tear up, to tear up. Her French-Italian eyes flood with Water, Wee oui, wee oui. and she says, "I'm heartbroken that you would even think I was hiding something from you." Wet, wet tears, we <clears> wee <throat> oui, oui. Yeah. So the next day, her husband, Frederick, Frederick Tibaud, he the stops. Next day. The next day, he stops by <gasps> to chat with Shania because he's got, he's seen receipts. Pen on the kettle hotel. Yes, exactly, exactly. Oh. I saw my wife lie to you yesterday, and. Today, I want to tell you the truth because hey. I am pretty sure that she and my have, like, I have seen the hotel bills. I have seen her pack lingerie into a suitcase when she was oh, going on a no, solo trip. No, no. Um, yeah, I I have the phone bills. Let me show you. So this is obviously sucky.
1: I can't even breathe. It's so bad. I think that's
2: pretty much where Shania was with it too. Like she spent months just being like, "They're gonna figure out they've made a mistake. Like we we're all friends. We all love each other. We're all like, they will. Whatever is happening here will work itself out. And he'll come back to me, and and I I will forgive my friend, and we will keep being for like just the whole. Oh. <clears throat> It's very, very sad. By mid-May 2008, Mercury Nashville releases a statement about the separation of Shania Twain and Mutt Lang after 14 years of marriage.
0: Mm.
2: Very sad. Like, really, really sad. Anyway, keeping in mind that Shania is dealing with this throat thing, which must have left her terrified about her ability to continue creating music... Mutt had been her songwriting collaborator for all of these intensely creative years that generated so much great music. This was not just her marriage imploding. This was oh, this is
0: her. This was her mountain. entire this life. Her life, yeah. Yes,
2: every corner of it was suddenly unfamiliar territory. Ah. She could not know what was coming next. She couldn't know if she would have a career in music going forward because of the dysphonia. Like, just shitty she takes a break from switzerland okay she loves switzerland i think she still lives there to this day but takes a break comes back homeward to be closer to family and you know people who will uh administer Self-care. administer yeah. a little tough love because uh because lady was wallowing oh. she was deep in the wallow and oh. like some of her friends were just were like listen like he's you not coming back she it. is not your friend like you need mm. you gotta let go of that <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what you think these people are is not what these people are. And, like, get your vision right with reality. God, it's so
1: hard to hear, It's though.
2: terrible. It's terrible. So, you know, over time, she gradually accepts that this is a permanent condition that is happening. You know, on the other hand, you know, Frederick with the receipts over in Switzerland, he's going through this, too. And so they start reaching out to each other and kind of leaning on each other for support. There's a bond. There's a bo- I mean... They completely understand what the other is going through.
1: Also, he may or may just not be, but he totally is a sexy Leo. He is beautiful. He was born August 1st. He is physically beautiful. The same day as Adam Durrett. So I'm pretty Hmm. convinced that Frederick is a sex god too.
2: Well, I mean, not to jump ahead, but uh, let's talk about what happens next. What happens next? Uh, Shania's divorce from Mutt is finalized in Switzerland in June of 2010. People magazine immediately runs a piece about her radiant happiness with her new love, Fred Tibaud. Yeah, she
1: looks pretty good for a divorce
2: lady. The ex-husband of her ex-husband's girlfriend. They end up marrying, as far as I can tell. Oh. Shania and Fred marry.
1: Shania won that breakup.
2: She won that breakup.
1: Yeah. You know how,
2: you know, she... Mar- like, they met in June. They were married in December. Yeah. Okay. So she's divorced in June. This time she waits until January 1st of ah, the following year to get married. Good for you. She, is, she When she sets her mind on a thing, that thing happens. And like...
1: You gotta respect that.
2: Ready to fall back in love? Great. Done. Done. They're still married to this day. Mutt, according to a bunch of things I read, married Marie-Anne, although I cannot find a date for that. It was the wife swap that shook Nashville. So, obviously, Shania Twain has been able to return to music. A little bit? Yeah. Uh, She released her fifth studio record in September of 2017. This is 15 years after her last studio album came out. And her voice is... It it is different. Her voice has changed because of the dysphonia. It's a lifetime of changes. She's toured. She's making it work. Yeah. Like, shit happens.
1: That girl is a resilient badass. She's a resilient
2: resilient yeah she is a resilient person just i mean can't even resilient
1: badass goddess
2: yes okay so the album was called now it debuted at number one the now tour crisscrossed the globe and earned 62 million dollars holy cats we call that a success that's a lot of scallions she she has even broken into acting and i have such neat news for you talk to me uh she had a role opposite Scientologist John Travolta in a what? movie called Trading Paint that came out in February. Rotten Tomatoes gives this movie a critic approval rating of 0. What? And an audience score of 27%. Yikes. Which I think bolsters the theory that Tom Cruise hates John Travolta runs Scientology, and that Scientology is keeping the good roles away from John Travolta. I'm 100% in for that theory. <laughs> yeah. Tinfoil hat
1: conspiracy time.
2: Yeah. Done. And I mean, that's kind of Shania Twain. I think like all we've got really left to say is, Fred, from us to you, if you cheat on your
1: wife, we're coming for you, bud. We're coming for you, man. <laughs> wife swap with a happy ending?
2: I mean, a bit. It, it, the, happy
1: ending-ish?
2: I will say the... Like, I listened to a bunch of the songs on the the newer record, and, like, they are all about
1: the breakup that happened six and seven years earlier. Like, But do you think that's just what she wrote from Singing in the Forest with Bears? <laughs> like, I don't... Breakup songs are... Like, look at Adele. Oh, for, without You're Adele. You're gonna make your hit on breakup songs. That's the shit that kicks you in the teeth.
2: Yeah, and I think probably she wanted to just cause it was so public. She wanted to make sure Work that she out. addressed it with her fans sure. in, you know, the best way to do that is to put it on a record. One of the music videos from it shows it, it uses a photograph of her and Mutt and we, no. like they shake, oh. they turn the picture upside down and shake and Matt falls, Mutt, sorry, falls away. <laughs> and Matt, like, it's probably whatever, just, whatever. Bob, Bob Steve. from South Africa. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gary, <laughs> it's Gareth. Um, <sighs> that's a dollop joke. Um, yeah, that's 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 Shania. Man, she Holy will. Holy cat! She will sing to bears. She will.
1: That girl's a badass she
2: will she apparently has a nearly limitless capacity to forgive to the point that people have to be like no no not not in this case she's the bear to see let go of your Kanata. forgiveness and move on like i love her yeah she yeah she gets yeah. a thousand trashy
1: divorces halos oh yeah yeah i'm good with that all right yeah there we go i need to go pour a new glass of wine okay that was some tragedy and some triumph there's a lot a lot there yeah just get out your Kleenex. Let's take a break because I'm coming back. You're coming back. Kleenex ready. Yep. <sighs> and wine. And wine. And tra- get your trashy divorces bingo cards out now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And your cowboy hats and your horses and your beer. Let's go to the mall.
2: Today. Today. <laughs> Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack
1: as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William vs. Harry started.
2: Alicia. Stacy. You have some sort of like family legacy pattern. Soap opera trash candy cocktail. D- uh, wow, yes. Yeah, a soap yeah.
1: opera trash candy cocktail. Okay. That's what I got. Okay. Get out your guitars. Cocktails and trashy divorces bingo cards, everybody. All right. I've got a story for you today that is a soap opera full of family dysfunction on fire. Wow. Tragedy and triumph. Redheads aflame. Good Lord. So also, besides the soap opera of family dysfunction on fire, we do have in this story the very clearest case of, quote, how parents imprint every relationship you have as an adult, unquote, example that I have ever come across in the research of trashy divorces. Interesting. I've been waiting to talk with y'all about the imago theory
2: you've talked to him yeah this you this is your go-to for a lot it's a
1: big deal and as a psych major and a learning and educational development professional the imago theory all hell, oprah (laughs) big fucking deal i can think of no better illustration for y'all to get it in full force than winona So the Imago theory developed by Dr. Harville Hendricks and Dr. Helen LaKelley Hunt. Imago, uh, image, mirror. You are mirroring back to the other person. So it's a whole line of therapy, the Imago IRT, Imago Relationship Therapy. But you end up imaging, the theory of this is that you end up imaging in your current relationships most what you need to heal from your past relationships. And once you understand that, then you see the patterns that come up over and over and over again in your relationships. And it's not about what's happening now. It's about something that's happened to you before. But once you recognize this and that it really is you, you can begin to see how these feelings and experiences Uh, Like the energy exchange in childhood has impacted you in such a way that energy, that same energy is carried into your future and how you react to it. So, what I'm hearing you say is that in
2: order to move beyond our pasts, we have to be a little self aware about our pasts. Totes. Okay. So, when that's really easy.
1: That's super easy. No, it's not. It's really really not. not. So like you're an adult relationship, but you're always working out the one that came before. So because you don't know the language for that, you react with blame, anger, everything else you haven't dealt with. That. Hello, my 20s. Exactly. That energy is always around. And you bring that energy into your new adult relationships that don't have a damn thing to do. With what you're trying to work out from a past relationship. Right. Why do I bring this up now? Winona (laughs) is an amazing example. It's going to be really easy to see and identify with her here. Bringing that past energy into her love relationships. And whoa, baby. Talk about some bad choices and trashy divorces. I do promise. There's a happy ending. To this one, Winona gets it in a big way, but, but it's a but country it, song to get there. Okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> so, it's a country song it's to get a there. Country song works. to get there, and that's what I have written for you today. This country song story, country story song. Are you pulling out a guitar? Like, not yet. Right. No, I'm doing right. it in narrative style. Okay, it's called Judd. Women always land on their own two feet. <laughs> That's the name of our song. All right, that's the chorus. Oh, okay. Of so, the so, song. so this will be repeated a few times. Oh, yeah. All Judd right. women always land, always land on, the on their own, two, own feet. two feet. Okay. So, in this song, just if you're keeping track on your trashy divorces bingo card, we got mamas and daughters, a quest for fame and stardom, serious child neglect and safety issues, surprise parentage, bad decisions with food, men, and money criminal charges, and legacies of buried family secrets which go for generations. Tasty. Honestly, this is like Trashy Divorce's <laughs> gold mining. Okay. Dude, verse one. Oh. We're going to talk about Mama and the impression of all the energy exchange that Mama's going to put on Winona. Verse two. We're going to talk about how that childhood energy exchange imprints into Winona's adulthood. And all the bad decisions that she's going to make over and over again. I'm going to take you to a fancy, fancy bridge where we're going to talk some real stuff. Why, as transformation, growing up, working out her own damage. And to round it out, verse three, pretty happy ending. Okay. There's probably going to be some tears, too. <laughs> Just giving you an FYI. It's a hella story. Hey, it's... Country song narrative. I think season closer. If if there are not, if you
2: don't cry a little, you're, this, not you're doing talking it right. about country music legends. If there's, if you're not crying a little, you're not you're doing, not it, doing right. it right. You ready? Yes.
1: <sighs> okay. Verse one. Wynonna was born Christina Claire Chiminella on May 30th, 1964. She's a Gemini. Her mama Naomi is a Capricorn. Going to go ahead and give an illustration here about this astrology dynamic before I give you the details of it. In 2018, the Country Music Hall of Fame opens the Judd's exhibit. And Kelly Pickler, who's just fucking adorable, is interviewing. I love the name. I I don't know who this is, though. Kelly Pickler was a contestant on American Idol, and she's charming AF. And she is just lit up from the inside and personality she's just adorable gotcha not appropriate to pinch women's cheeks you want to pitch kelly pickler's like she's okay. just loaded with everything light-filled she's like, great so bubbly bubbly. we said bubbly okay so little bubbly kelly pickler is with the Juds in their country music hall of fame exhibit And God bless her. She asks in 2018 what they love most about each other. Winona says to Naomi, you know what? My mom is always herself. I love that she never changes wherever she goes. She always is authentic, like represents herself. Naomi to Winona, Yeah, she's a free bird. I recognize she was a free spirit when she was like three and it scared the hell out of me. Welcome to the Capricorn mother and Gemini child. Mm, as a Gemini child, although my mom's not a Cap, but...
2: Nope, she's not. But I think I was scaring the hell out of people around the age of three or four. No, years.
1: Gemini kids are their own little little brand of magic. So if you talk about Gemini Capricorn people as partners, they're a weird fit. When they work well together, they can reach any goal they want to, However, until they begin to work together, Gemini needs someone to ground them, kind of give them depth. And when they look at Capricorn, they're like, you're old, unmovable, boring, like I'm never going to get it from you. It's on me. And Capricorn needs joy and relaxation. So a Gemini looks like a ball of furry, furry, uncontrollable strings that have no path and heading nowhere. When they get together, it's amazing, but sometimes it takes a long time. So trashy divorces first here, focusing in on astrology specifically centered on parent and child. A Capricorn mom may have some problems keeping up with her restless, comedic, mischievous Gemini child. Is this air and earth? Is that the... Is Cap Earth? Cap is earth,
2: Gemini is air, yeah. I forget what that was in astrology, but I'll look it up. Air and earth? Lava? No. Sandstorm. Sandstorm. Sandstorm!
1: That's actually... I know that you... No, you don't even think it because you think your nostrology is a bunch of genius, but it really is a bunch of genius. Comedy genius. No, look, you can make models
2: of things and they will more or less look like the thing you're talking about, however funky and weird they are. Nostrology is that.
1: Sandstorm. Sandstorm. Soap opera. Okay. So a Capricorn mom Mm -hmm. is like a stick with it until it's done mom. And a Gemini child has a short AF attention span. What? A lively mind is interested in everything and everyone. They're bored easily, quick to move from one thing to another at a speed which will make a Capricorn's mother head spin off her body. There's no such thing as a routine or a schedule, which typically in child rearing means a Capricorn mom will need to lighten up, take a deep breath, laugh at their kids' antics, answer their questions, bend some rules. This is what Naomi should have done. No. But she did not do this. She was 18, married with a newborn, and hell, this is what life is. Naomi says the first eight years of Winona's life were the worst for her, and by all accounts, it's pretty bad. Not just for her, but for her kids too. Naomi is not the focus of this story. Why Nona is, and I am telling this one for the kid who never got heard, which is so fucking ironic. Because what a goddamn voice! She has the voice of a hell-raising angel goddess, and I love her. And there's only something slightly ironic that her voice is what makes her, and she's the kid who never got heard. Yeah. It, that, yeah okay yeah and i see you feeling this too no
2: wine makes you feel listeners get ready we haven't had a alicia is having a feeling we haven't had a drink
1: on an episode in a season so here we go christina is born who i'm just gonna call winona from now kashish completely There's so un- many yep. names in the story so we're just gonna stick with what we got Winona's is born
2: so i i am super curious uh, again like now I know how Shania Twain got her name. I'm super curious to learn how, because Naomi is not Naomi's first, like no, originally. Naomi name. is Diana.
1: Good God. Okay, so let's talk about all these people who are frauds. Okay, so <laughs> Naomi is Diana and doesn't adopt Naomi until like the late '70s when she and Winona, who is born Christina, start are trying to make it in country, kind of making it. Okay, Winona gets her name from. The Route 66 song, covered at that time by the band Asleep at the Wheel, who Naomi was dating, one of the musicians in. There's a really good line in Route 66: uh, "Don't forget Winona," that <laughs> she took her name from, because Christina sucks. I kind of. Are you it. sure it's
2: not "My My My Winona" by the Shandells? Nope. It is Asleep
1: at the Wheel, Route 66. We can cut a lot of this. Okay. Nope. We're going to let it roll because wine. So there's Naomi, young mom, whose own parents kick her out when they find out that she's pregnant. Yikes. Naomi moves in with her in-laws. Dad, Michael, is in college. Wealthy paternal grandparents. They belong to the country club. So Naomi's needs are getting met. She has a baby. She has food. She has love. Grandparents are doting on the child. Things are okay for the first few years. Okay. And that probably takes the heat off Naomi for a while. But mom and baby eventually are going to move in with Michael when he's a little nearer to finishing college. Which they do. Michael graduates and gets a job in California. So off go the family. 1968. Well, I know it was like four, and she's leaving the safety net of her grandparents, which is the only real stability she's ever known and off to a whole new life. She gets a new baby sister, too. Yaza Ashley. So the best of the times from her life are going back to visit her grandparents where they feed her. She gets treats. She goes shopping for clothes. There, she there's adult out supervision. The club. Well, yeah. there's adult supervision. She has a bedtime. She has a regular meal. Like, yeah. it is the attention every child needs to plant yeah. some kind of foot well, in security. A
2: well, little bit of structure. A little bit of like knowing what the expectations
1: are for you day to day. Like just That's just it. basic stuff. Grandparents are a big deal to that firstborn. So. Naomi, on the other hand, is uprooted from everything she's ever known in a strange land. She has two kids and a big, fat fucking dream to be something more than what is happening to her. Right. But hey, Imago theory 22 year old Naomi is now trying to reckon out her current adult relationships based on her energy exchanges from childhood. So it's a cycle, right? Right. Naomi is ill-equipped to do this and now is ragingly unhappy and begins the countdown to this marriage being done. But let's be sure in the meantime that everyone damages each other as much as possible <laughs> before we call it quits. Because Naomi likes drama like that. And did I mention that Naomi manifests all this unhappiness onto Winona, and dreaming about the future? in which they will become stars and rich and famous and implants her dream on a poor fucking kid, which is a fuckload of responsibility.
2: Yeah, that's rough. That's really. Okay. But did she have her in a bar
1: at midnight when she was eight? Pretty fucking close.
2: Okay. So, all
1: right. Yeah, yanked her on tour with Merle Haggard at like 13. What? Or they left Ashley in the house unattended for like five days. Wait. wait, Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. No, it's bad. Stay tuned. It's bad. I think I even left that out, but it's bad. Okay. Okay, so (laughs)
2: Naomi, mother of the year.
1: Mother of
2: heathens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, Naomi really does have some charm about her and has a way of negotiating great deals on rent in her life. Oh, that's cool. I mean... No, it's not well, the first I, time it happens. I bet
2: one day that sort of talent will really, really pay
1: off for the family. I'm not saying what I think her talent really was. I'll save that for trashy tidbits. But anyway... Naomi really has had enough of the valley and decides to rent a house with this sob story. I'm about to divorce my husband. I have two girls. And gets this fucking house in Hollywood on Larrabee Drive, like off of Sunset Boulevard for a third of the rent. This is In the, what, late 60s? Is that where we are now? 70? Early 70s. Okay. 1970, 1971, yeah.
2: Okay, like, okay, again, I think of the Juds as like, Died in the wool country music no they're out in hollywood no they're in hollywood trying to mom's trying to and naomi
1: judd is trying to no she's making her goodbye earl plan she doesn't tell michael that this plan is really for her to make her escape from him but as soon as it's done and they move in and michael moves in (laughs) naomi's like yeah, you got to get off the couch. You're out of here. Wow. And of course, to Nona? it's all her fault. Yeah, like, and that's her dad. Divorce yeah. is crap on any kid. Like God. seven, eight years old. Yeah. So to a kid that already feels like she has to deliver for mom all the goddamn time, now the burden of the breakup of your marriage is on me. <sighs> Michael is out. In the fall of 1971, and Naomi is a single mom, two kids, no car, no job.
2: What? (gasps) Okay. Okay.
1: You know, it happens. So she fixes that. She gets a receptionist gig that she can walk to down Sunset Boulevard for the Fifth Dimension. little known fact I learned from the Judd's docuseries. We'll talk about that. But she's gone, and she's taking any job she can find like yeah. this is not her only gig she's okay. on game shows she's a model like she's changing she's, her image a thousand so times, she's doing hustling
2: everything that everyone who tries to make it in hollywood is doing with two kids and no car and recently divorced and i'm sure i'm sure that her husband was not really in much position to help financially. Like, oh he no, just her husband's loaded.
1: Oh, their family's loaded. Oh, her husband can send, c- continues to send checks that she cashes, but she tells her girls their dad is a fucker. Oh my god, he's a fuck off, and Whoa. he's not supporting you, and he doesn't love you, and he doesn't care about you. Oh wow, Now, so, that
2: is boom. That is horrific human behavior, right there. That's
1: exactly it. That so seriously prejudices me against naomi judd the stability of michael and whatever he can give right falls out in 71 naomi's single mom she's gone she's working kids are left alone often with not a lot of food maybe none no supervision winona's like seven she's a latchkey kid She's walking to school every day down sunset strip, like Cook, past strip the,
2: bars. Cooking the riceroni at 4 yeah. p.m. for Jesus Christ. Like second grade, like at seven. A this man is...
1: exposes himself to her down sunset strip. <sighs> like, yeah. Nothing about any of this time period is good and it's gonna get worse. So once Michael's out, Naomi gets in a super healthy, well, she started it before, but now it's super unhealthy relationship with a dude who moves in with him who beats naomi often and sometimes Nona, and when she kicks him out he's like cool i know you really love me and just moves across the street no yep stalker and becomes the worst stalker. of stalkers stalker. yeah he and puts we didn't have a word for that back then like there was no legal Puts cheap watches under Naomi's wheels so he can find what? out when she's leaving to get her schedule.
2: So, so as the tire goes over, as she backs out, it breaks yeah, the, the watch, watch and breaks. the time row.
1: Oh my Little god! Sales. What? I mean, yeah. that's brilliant. But fucking stalking her ass, nineteen seventy-two style. Crazy! Do you have to be to think that one up? I mean, yeah, you go get a cheap new watch at the fucking Eckerd. Sure. Yeah. Eckert. stalk your beloved we're so old okay no he also comes over and beats up any guy who goes over to naomi's house oh yeah he's a lot of fun mm-hmm. this guy
2: bad naomi behavior here. Develops...
1: this is not the story i thought you were going to tell me
2: this is no terrible. it's harrowing
1: yeah Nona develops asthma she starts to sleepwalk naomi gets a call at 3 a.m From stalker dude across the street. Hey, your kid is here. What? I don't know what her kid was doing there. How
2: much stress was this kid under? Oprah's
1: never talked about this, but I have a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. Naomi, after a really bad, he beats her to a pulp incident. Jesus Christ. Gets away with the kids to a hotel room, presses charges. She's like, I need to get the fuck out of California.
2: This seems like a really good idea there, Naomi.
1: Which she does soon, by the end soon, of 72. Soon to be Naomi. No, Diana is soon to be Naomi. Yeah. So throughout this time, again, God. she's telling her kids, Trash like, baggery your here is dad's high. the worst. He's not supporting you. Like, she's dad shaming. I'm shaking my head. And Michael Chimanella is like, none of this is true. Yeah. Ugh. But Naomi's trashing his reputation by... 1974, Michael, who's adopted kind of the hippie California lifestyle, is living off the grid. And the girls end up, when they come back with Naomi, living with him at this place he calls Camp Wig.
2: Come, come back to where?
1: Uh, Kentucky? Okay. okay. Farmland. Okay. So past.
2: Yeah, he's doing the 70s hippie, like. The hinterlands. The farm or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: The girls, both Ashley and Winona, describe this place as idyllic. There's like a heater. There's no phone. There's no TV. But to hear them talk about it, there are unicorns and meadows of flowers and fishing and swimming. How about food and safety? Fireflies. That no, we catch what we're going to eat that day. And my people, like it is a very tiny insular world of let's build up some safety for some kids who have not had any in a while. Yeah. Naomi's gone in this period. She's still looking to get her break, so she like heads out to Austin, that doesn't work out. She moves around for a while and eventually decides to come back and get her nursing degree. She goes back in 1975. The whole family is together again. And is this is a tragic country song, you know, <sighs> harmony's not going to last. And we're going to shuffle through the next set of years saying that Naomi negotiates a lot of good rent in places for her and her kids. She inflicts a lot more damage. She's in nursing school a lot. She leaves the girls alone, unattended, and fucking hungry a lot. (sighs) There's this is why we have defects today, isn't there's it? There's lucky breaks and her fucking it up, and dead cats on the porch, and future stalkers like it's all bad. I don't even buy, okay no, there's a lot. No, there. there's a lot I'm leaving out. Not so, asking in details. another prophetic bad decision, turn of the wheel of fortune, they all decide to go back to California for some additional child neglect and left to their own devices. Why, Nona? Is responsible for watching Ashley. So shit's rolling down on Winona. Winona's kind of mean to Ashley, which she is going to, as an adult, feel shitty about. Sure. But Naomi's also giving Winona assignments of what they're going to practice that night when Naomi gets home. And they lock Ashley out of the room where they're practicing.
2: What? Wait, okay, okay. So, single mom is it school or work all day or whatever before leaving in the morning tells older kid, Hey, tonight we're going to play this song. So I need you to spend we're today practicing, practicing this, this, this song. Yeah. Mom comes home at the end of the day from work or school or wherever she's been.
1: You're wa- getting it.
2: Walks past younger kid.
1: Closes. Grabs, the door, grabs and older Wynonna kid. Show me what you practiced today. And younger and kid is just her and beats her up. If she doesn't do it. Oh my God. Okay. So it
2: all sucks. Where are the police in this story? Because oh, they're coming. They're are they gonna get to them when Naomi's Ooh. gun starts coming out.
1: Oh, God. So Winona's obsession through this time period, because at Camp Wig, they have a record player. Okay. So they're playing country classics, Joni like all the things that she is learning and... In one of their homes that Naomi negotiates good rent for, Chanticleer, <laughs> there's a piano. So, like, Wynona's musical obsession is underway. And I guess she's determined to be a rebel in her own way and make her mama's dream come true. Like, this is more responsibility than the kid should oh, ever yeah, have. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the California Adventure does get them to the next stage of their development as artists. But let me just say, like... Naomi is not the one with the talent. Winona's the moneymaker, yo. Really? No, she's got the voice. She's the storm shaker from the angels of heaven. Naomi kind of has to learn. They get producers. And what is she like
2: 10 15 at this point? Like
1: uh, yeah, she's been a little kid, yeah. We're nineteen seventy nine. Winona's like fifteen. Oh my god. Yeah. But ah. They end up getting producers that are going to train. They owe to, ha- like, how to complement and harmonize with Winona because Winona, a fucking money maker. All right. Anyway, California Adventure does the, get them a little further, even though way more childhood drama. Ashley left alone. By 1979, they moved to Nashville, and it 15, adolescence hits, and oh, Nona, you wild child, free bird, free spirit, scares the hell out of mama, and it should, because you've had 15 years of not at all great examples. It's not your fault, your mama knew you were going to be a free bird, but Wynona makes some bad teenage decisions, and she's starting high school a year late. Because mom had her out of school for the past year on this wild ride on tour into Las Vegas and more like it's all bad. Winona starts high school a year late, but she has a car, ends up driving a friend to Atlanta. Her car breaks down. She gets sucked in by this weird dude and his mom, and she's saved by her grandfather who comes, like, call any dad you can find. Right, She has not one bit of control over her life, and it's breaking out in every way, and it's volatile. There's lots of fighting with Naomi. Fist fights. Uh, Naomi pulls her gun out every now and then. Whoa. When the police get called. Unhealthy relationships all over. Super bad. This is the script. But they can fight like tigers with each other. This is terrible. Terrible. But then they get on stage. And it's all pretense and perfection. Yeah, the stage experience is what they're living for, right. or at least Naomi. Why Nona is still like, I'm at fault for everything that's gone wrong in your life, and I'm going to try to make you happen. What can I do? Which, by the weirdest course of accidents, it does. And by 1983, the judges are signed to RCA. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Naomi's 37. When
2: good things happen to bad
1: people, at least Naomi. I mean, Jesus Christ. Why as 19? Okay. Naomi 37. Signed with the R- RCA. And the Juds are now going to take the world by storm. In the 8-year career they have together, our gals will create five studio albums, 13 compilation albums, release 26 singles, 15 of those, which make it into the number one slot. What? Another eight, th-
2: 15 number one hits in eight years?
1: Another six of those landing in the top 10. <laughs> so out of 26 singles, 22 are top 10, if so not number oneers.
2: It sounds like for eight years, if you were a listener
1: of country radio, the right d- judds were everywhere. Your soundtrack. Okay. They win some awards. Seven from the Academy of Country Music, top vocal duo seven years in a row. Nine awards from the Country Music Association, five Grammy Awards. It's nonstop. And the two of them are gonna continue this script where they bait and provoke each other, fight like tigers, and go on stage Sing and make like it like all
2: shine. Yeah, man. That is that is tough. And uh, at this point, has Ashley Judd starved to death?
1: She just... She's living with her grandparents. She hopped a bus for Hollywood and was like, fuck nope. you guys. She's living with her grandparents. Good. And she's going to go to University of Kentucky. Good for Be her. Be a wild cat. Go cats. You know what? Just not being a Judd is probably enough. I'll pander to Kentucky now and tell you to please not vote for Mitch McConnell. Vote for anyone but Mitch McConnell. So... Stacy. Yes. I would just like you to sit back and imagine sharing a tour bus with your mother from the age of 16 to 26. Every day, every night, don't talk. Your mom's bedroom is in the very back of the bus. So you have absolutely no privacy ever because mom's always coming through your room. You are a teenager with all the things that happen when you're a teenager, which is fucking hard enough. But now you're on stage with your mom every day hearing because it's a big day when it doesn't happen. Which one of you is the mother and which one of you is the daughter? (sighs) Okay, so like in high school, Winona already looks like a teacher. Mm. I know this. I get this. I feel this. Kids like note runners from the office when they'd come into a trailer and didn't know my teacher would give the note to me because as a freshman, I looked like a teacher hmm. and I'd be like, yeah, it's no wonder I ended up in learning an education. But really, why Nona looks grown at 16 and she has this petite, cute, elfin mother and no control over anything in her life. And none of that is going to work great for Winona. Because, like so many other teenagers before her, she is going to attempt to gain some control through take a guess food. Oh, food. Oh, food. well, Because drugs was actually going to be my guess. <laughs> uh, it's drugs cutting her food. Like mm-hmm. that's how teenagers, teenagers. take control. Mm-hmm. Winona begins to eat to stuff her feelings. They're getting lots of success, but she's super alone. She feels like none of this is deserved. And the more she has no input into what's happening in her own life, she absolutely can control what she eats.
2: You know, has she considered Scientology?
1: (laughs) (laughs) She gets bigger, which staves off intimacy. She can make a difference in her appearance to... Build up a wall, but also stave off the attention that mom has gotten through her entire childhood. Like, lots of compare—we can—we're going deep on trashy tidbits this week.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, it's protection. Being a little heavy lets you out of being vulnerable in ways that, at the time, you may not be able to admit to yourself. I identify with this. But it's a Nashville machine, and as long as we're on tour and cranking out hits, it's cool. Yep. But you know tragedy's coming. Because in 1990, Mama Naomi gets diagnosed with Hep C. Wow. Apparently from her nursing days. That's which doesn't good. stop Naomi from planning a 116-city world tour to grand finale The Judds Off Into the Sunset. What? Is this actually their last tour as a... As the Judds? No, they've reunited because Naomi lives. Because Naomi didn't die. Yeah. Naomi doesn't die. This tour grosses $21 million.
2: So so wait, she pitches a drama fit because now she has a disease. She's obviously dying because that's... Oh, no,
1: she's buying future grandchildren gifts and funeral plots for the whole family because she's only expected to live three years but also planning a hundred and sixteen city tour to which winona has to literally help her get ready for by the end of it like naomi's super sick
2: okay all right all right so well so she's not exaggerating that she because i realize like today i feel like Hepsi is pretty treatable
1: it but naomi was one apparently on one of the first drugs to treat it Where her boyfriend, then future husband, Larry Strickland, who is a backup singer for Elvis Presley, flew on a plane to somewhere to get her the drugs that worked out treating it. There's another conspiracy theory. You notice when I have a glass of wine, I get real country when I talk about Nashville. There's another conspiracy theory that says Naomi was lying about the whole thing and just made it up to, I don't know. I don't believe that. I don't think you work that hard to get where you are in your life and give it up without really, truly being afflicted by something. She was a drama queen about sure, it. Sure, sure. Glad she survived. No, and I I would,
2: I mean, like hepsi C. Certainly. But
1: 116 city tour. It's an optimistic I'm about to die. I well, mean, maybe it's, I'm going to, I'm a Capricorn mom. I'm all about business. I have been taking care of these kids in the best way I know how, which you may have judgment on me 40 years from now. My but
2: eyes are rolling. No,
1: amago. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna, we're gonna get to a happier bridge here soon, but amago, right? Maybe you're like, I need to cash in on all the money we can fucking get because the ride's about to be over. Yeah. It's just so sad. So By the time this ride ends in 1991, Naomi's 45, halfway dead, Winona's 27, and about to embark on a solo career that has been in the works for a year since they started planning this 116 city tour. But the Nashville machine is going to do what? Pick your songs, pick your clothes, pick your image. And we'll simply just take the place of mama's control over you. Yep. And now we get to Winona starting to deal with these adult relationships on her own. And say it with me, Amago. Oh, I was going to say Judd women always land on their own two feet. That's the chorus. You just got us to verse two. You okay. did it. Great. Woohoo. So the Juds buy a thousand acres in Leapers Fork, Tennessee, they call it <laughs> Peaceful Valley. Sorry. Sorry. How's that? Leapers? Leapers. Like L-E-A-P-E-R. L-E-I-P-E-R oh. apostrophe S, but it is pronounced Leapers. You
2: think it was a French guy named LaPierre who initially
1: found it and it's just degraded I don't over know. time? I didn't want to get hate mailed from Tennessee, so I called Erica Kelly and said, Hey, how do you actually say this? And it's Leapers Fork. Leapers Fork. Tennessee. All three Judd women landing on their own two feet in their own two houses live on this thousand acre property. Naomi lives 60 seconds from Ashley, six minutes from Winona. Seems like way too close for comfort given. So Winona's is without a mom on tour and maybe that would be cool and she'd be happy about it, but she's never had anyone trust her with anything right and they're probably not going to start now so again she's told what songs what to wear how she's going to be marketed and that's her solo career which does start out with a bang because girl can sing yeah. you thought juds were good <sighs> move the fuck over her breakout album Wynona comes out in 1992 charts four number one singles it's hot second album in 1993 tell me why charts five top 10 hits girls on fire at least musically because enter first husband oh and Amago theory and bunches of unhealthy behaviors Nona meets arch kelly the third in 1993 sorry say that it not not r kelly no not r kelly okay Interesting. Pretty close. Arch Kelly. Arch, like Archie. Archibald. Yeah. Perhaps? Arch Kelly the third, nineteen ninety three. Trey, and I. <laughs> Trey, and I guess dating's fine because they're both pretty screwed up, <laughs> and it's all wild. But then nineteen ninety four happens. Okay. And it's bad. Whyona's thirty, and Naomi, Winona and Ashley are in an emergency family therapy session. This seems long overdue, to be honest. Well, Naomi's putting out a book. And there are some secrets that she lies about in there that Ashley's like, mm. nope, nope, nope. I'm going to blow your cover. Fuck you, mom. I'm blowing your cover. Now we're going to reveal the dirty big secrets of all the secrets that everyone else in the family knows about. Yeah. Except for Winona,
0: oh. And that
1: secret What is that? Michael Chiminella is not Winona's real father. What? She's thirty, and she's thirty. How
2: does Ashley know? And but Ashley is Winona
1: has told her managers, her producers, the record label, everyone around her. Ashley knows the family knows, but at thirty, Winona surprise parentage is um. Is he
2: Ashley's father though?
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: All right. I'm going to need some explanation
1: on. Okay. So you're going to need a minute. You're not hearing anything. So we're going to take a second so you can process this and hear this because I know Imago relationship therapy. Why Nona has another father. Well, one assumes abandoned Naomi at 17 when Naomi gets pregnant and Naomi essentially hoodwinks Michael. Into marrying her in the first place because it turns out they'd actually never done the thing which makes a baby before they got married. Did
2: he just not know how that worked? He didn't know how that worked, but then they got married and then he learned what? how that worked and he got clued into. Okay, sex ed must be in schools because otherwise you get hoodwinked.
1: So this is a national scandal oh yeah this is national news i would think because tabloids don't have the real story they're reporting that winona is elvis's love child whoa like she can't even go to the grocery
2: store she's not elvis's love child is she no
1: okay wow that would be so cool though that would
2: be like trashy divorces ultimate
1: charles jordan (laughs) okay um but like she's winona's hit pretty hard by this I would, yeah. So the lack of any, even if a bad father figure, that she's known in Michael, a new dad absent, reckoning it with the dad she thinks that was hers, career off the tracks, ostracized by the Nashville machine, and maybe not with the greatest of guys. Wait, they, like,
2: there were professional ramifications for her because her mother has lied to her her whole life?
1: Well... Not yet, but hold on. Let's just wait like two months until she gets pregnant. Oh. And then we're going to talk about ramifications. Oh, not married, is she? Yeah. Oh,
2: Nashville.
1: The thing that really gets Winona about this before she gets pregnant is the secret of it. Like her whole life for 30 years, she has felt out the fuck of place. So to her having a different dad... Actually, makes a shit ton of sense. Oh, like she's like, oh, no wonder I felt weird for thirty years of my life. But the betrayal of that, yeah. How could you not tell me this? Yeah, like, for thirty years, wouldn't have this secret have helped us break through a lot of walls before this? But the surefire way. To heal yourself in a crap situation and fix everything is to drown yourself in a bad relationship. So remember Arch Kelly? I do. Not Arch yes. Kelly. Arch no, Kelly. No, Arch Kelly. It's bad. She gets pregnant. Arch moves in. Hmm. He begins controlling her just like Mama. What? And the machine. We've just traded the source. God. He's responsible for running her things, her home, her finances, her choices, her clothes, What she does, who she talks to. This is so bad. And you're about to have a baby. Out of wedlock. Which, honestly, I think this is the first thing for Winona that begins to get her to crave a deeper understanding. Elijah is born in 1994. And Winona says that her son, Elijah, saved her and is her reason for living. And is like Elijah, it is Elijah. grounds her into something different.
2: Is Elijah's name spelled
1: L-J-A-E-L-I-J-A-H? Okay. She loves her kid, but not married to Arch. She's got a sweet baby and it's 1994 and Nashville and country audiences are not really down with this whole single mother thing. Even though, irony of ironies, that's how they make the whole judge shtick happen. Like, let's look at hypocrisy and double standards and poor rural mama and her daughter. Just hypocrisy pisses me off. I digress.
2: Yeah, but if a woman is abandoned by a bad... But here you've got a woman choosing not to marry apparently a bad man. (laughs) Like, it's... I mean, it's it's a different like. In one case, the woman is empowered, and we can't have that. Don't jump not that high. A
1: little bit, a little bit empowered. I mean, oh man. Uh why Nona takes all in nineteen ninety five off, and just as she's prepping to revive her career, and getting a grip on the fact that Arch is kind of an ass face, she gets pregnant again. Yikes. And for some inexplicable reason, she marries Arch wow. in January of nineteen ninety six. Yikes. But before the wedding, Arch is like, hey, Winona's manager. You don't need to worry about that prenup. It's cool. And Winona has smarter people than that. So prenup gonna happen. And daughter Grace is born in June. And wynona has been out of the scene for a long time, and she hits the road five weeks after a C-section to go back on tour because she's put her career yeah. on hold. Yeah. And Arch is super controlling, and he's probably planning to murder her. Oh, good. Good. Because now he is working out behind her back how to get power of attorney. Oh, my God. Exactly. And things really start to fall apart. People who have been on her team for years are dropping like flies, quitting right and left. Her friends are like, Girl, you are in danger. Winona finally sends him packing, but sweet baby Jesus on a toast cracker, she has all of her own pain. And a baby and a toddler and an ass face crap soon to be divorced husband and a career and people depending on her for their livelihood. And hell, she's depending on herself for the same thing. And that's a fuckload of pressure. And the divorce is hard fought, but she's a survivor. She's working her guts out and she's going to take it on herself. She reaches her highest weight. Everything's falling apart. She is full on in an eating disorder, a shopping disorder. She's trying to work it all out. She makes a few for like two steps forward, one step back. Once Winona decides to make the step forward to meet with her birth father, two weeks before this meeting is supposed to happen, he dies. This is awful. It's a fucking tragedy country song. Winona finds out a few days later because she's had members of him his family come to her. Hey, I'm your cousin. I'm the niece of your dad. Yeah, like she is in contact with the family. She also finds out a few days after he dies that her real dad has a whole drawer full of newspaper clippings that he has just saved in a drawer about her and her career wow. and her entire life. Hmm. So talk about breaking you wide open. So everything I know about Winona, I learned on Oprah. <laughs> uh Winona goes on Oprah in two thousand three and like You tell the truth to Oprah. You don't fucking lie to Oprah. No, it's like being under oath. That's it's being Being under under Oprah. Oprah. So, Winona says, I've dedicated my life to country music. I homeschool my children. I work three years on my record. I support, you know, 40 or 50 families. I have for 18 years and I've never stopped. I'm in trouble because I lost myself. I'm the woman who forgot to put herself on the list and I'm real tired. I don't have it together. I'm losing my way here. Anyone anywhere can understand with that because like yeah. you forget to put yourself on the list. It's bad. Winona says her weight drama started in childhood after her parents divorced. I'd been alone. So alone. Those years of my life, my parents were divorced. I'd get hungry. I'd get panicky. It's sad, but the way to put yourself on the list, Winona, in two thousand three, is not to date an ass face, because Winona marries her second husband, former bodyguard D. R. Roach, in two thousand three. Is that
2: is, is it spelled? Is it R O A C H?
1: R O A C H.
2: Wow, you do you like. Think about how much you have to love someone whose last name is Roach
1: to agree to marry them. I know she didn't take his last name, but still, come on. She doesn't take a last name until her third marriage. So there's your little hook. Be a little kitten hanging on the branch. It's going to get better. Is she
2: not a Judd anymore?
1: She's not. Good for her. She's not a Judd I am already proud of her. Okay. Okay. So she marries D.R. Roach in 2003. After that, she finds out she's going broke. From years of nobody has put any responsibility in me to pay attention to my finances. So, holy fuck, now I have no money. This is adult lesson after adult lesson, a MAGO theory. Like, she's never assumed control of her life. And it's about to come crashing down on her at 40 in the biggest of ways. She gets herself and Roach Boy into therapy and begins to kind of fledge out this thing only to get a little healthy to have her husband arrested for sexual assault of a minor what and he's guilty and convicted of attempted aggravated sexual battery against a minor and more crushingly she knows the family oh my god And at 43, this is betrayal of the worst sort. Oh, my God, yes. Winona has him out of the house within the hour. She files for divorce in less than a week.
2: Good for her. She
1: says this blew the door open to my soul. For sure. Oh, that poor kid. In 2010, about the marriage, she says, I knew what I was getting into and I tried to change it. I knew that both Roach and I had issues with addiction. When I married him, I know my life. I know the people I chose, and I know why I chose them. And I really thought I could change people through loving them (laughs) enough. It doesn't work that way. I can change him. It doesn't work
2: that way. It doesn't.
1: So like Roach is in recovery. He's sober. That's all that matters to me now, she says. As for her personal life, she trashed anything that reminded her of him. She says, I haven't forgotten, but I have forgiven enough that I can humanly can. I don't wish him dead or anything like that. I just wish to be one of those people that doesn't spend my life being defined by that. And we go back to the chorus. Judd
2: women always land on their own two feet. Fuck yeah, they do. Yeah, that's
1: tough. I didn't... uh... You know, kids, that sucks. So we're going to go to the bridge. For any non-musical folks out there, the bridge is the part in the song.
2: You know, it's cool of her not to set her husband on fire upon learning that he's
1: done that. That's He should preview five fucking trash cans on goddamn fire. He should be very
2: grateful that she didn't just set him on fire when she learned he had done that to a child. Just saying. We would all understand if Winona Judd had set him on fire
1: and then wrote a song about it
0: and then
2: or never spoke of it again Twain yeah. in
1: front of a bear audience an audience of bears what's that chorus again judd women always land on their own two feet boop, boop. move into the bridge okay for any non-musical folks out there the bridge is the part in the song doesn't always happen in songs but my favorite songs are when it does The bridge is used to contrast with and prepare for the return of the verse and the chorus. So the bridge sort of marries the verses and the chorus, hence the bridge. It uses the chord structure of the song, but flips those chords around. Lyrically, it's where it all comes together. It introduces a new musical theme that is usually some profound words of wisdom that is all the sprinkles on the song Sunday. Country Roads by John Denver has an amazing bridge. Anything by John Denver has an amazing bridge that will kick you in the gut. But enough about the bridge. I digress. It's where we flip the song over and make it come together in a different way. So you ready for the bridge? Sure. Yeah. Shed women land on their own two feet. Sure. By 2010, why known as shed 55 pounds discovers that she really likes to walk in the woods and has asked her mama to go on tour with her again, which they do in 2011. Okay, let me just... The only...
2: (sighs) Naomi is lucky that Winona never set her on fire.
1: You're not kidding. And still hasn't. It's called The Last Encore Tour, which is also being filmed by Oprah's network. And yes, I have watched all of this. Watched it when it aired in 2011. Watched it again for this narrative. You are welcome, listeners. Now, the best part of Camp Tour Therapy is that they are traveling with Dr. Ted Klontz, who is their amazing life coach. And they are reunited in this totally different way in different places in their lives after the arc of their lives. as 47... Naomi's, Naomis 65. Like, this is some weird kind of second chance shit, and it really helps to have a therapist on board for the journey. There will be trashy tidbits about the whole sordid, amazing, wonderful Docu series that is 2011's The Juds, but to sum up why Nona and Naomi are working on a new script. The old script isn't working anymore. And hey, at least this new script you have with a moderator for you both. Everyone has found some therapy. It ain't easy. Because all of Naomi's secrets spill out. She has a refrigerator mom. Her mom is super cold. Naomi was sexually assaulted at the age of three. No one believed her. Oh, God. The legacy of her family is that her grandfather... Locked his two sons up, her dad being one of them, turned on the gas, lit the fire, and then shot himself in front of the kids. The kids break the window and save themselves, like there are so many family secrets and shame that Naomi is working through, and why is getting her mom in an entirely different way, like. Where did we mesh and where do I begin and where does she end and how do I develop my own autonomy in this tour they really begin to write a new script for themselves they're kind of done with the anger and the hate and really begin to amago they find themselves at the end of this knowing that whatever challenges they come to them we have the tools to work together through this craft. There's not anything that we can't do together. It's really a redeeming message of mother-daughter relationships. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> Cuz the mother-daughter relationship is one of the most complex. And by the end of it, our Capricorn mom and our Gemini daughter really do understand and appreciate each other in a beautiful kind of way. It's tough to watch. Lots of pain. But also breakthrough and healing and smarter decisions and this new discovery of the person in each other that they didn't know before. Verse three. You ready for some happy? Yeah. Yeah. Let's now's get a good off time. Camp therapy tour. And move into verse three. So thanks, Dr. Ted. Why Nona's taking charge, making some healthy decisions in her life, cause she does have a toolbox now, and sure enough. Oh, it's so good! This is my favorite kind of love story. So, back in 1989, a band called Highway 101 went out on tour with the Judds, and there's a guy in the band. It's his band. His name is Cactus Mosier. Sorry, good. Cactus Moser. Cactus. Cactus. His parents didn't like him. His parents loved him. His name is like Scott David or Scott Michael or something. Okay, okay. just a nickname. Cactus. Cactus. Because he's prickly. It probably is a little prickly, but no, I love him. He doesn't like to shave. No, well, he has a beautiful feathered mullet. And Winona thinks he's sexy, like sexy AF. And they know each other and each other's families and they stay cool with each other. But in 1989, Wynona is 25 and has a whole barn full of change to go through. But fast forward 23 years. And in 2009, Cactus and Winona reconnect and go crazy about each other. He loves her sassy most of the time. She loves his man's manliness and talent. And I am crazy about the way the two of them look at each other. Like it is amazing. Winona says he is a joy that I never thought I'd find again. I've always been attracted to the ones that are unavailable emotionally. No experience with what that looks like because of the unhealthy relationship with my dad. Now I get what a healthy relationship looks like. I'd pick addicts who had agendas, ulterior motives. I was trusting and naive. It was not cool. She has a whole new toolbox that takes her away from her insecurities, doubts, and fears. Okay, grab your Kleenex because here's my best advice for all y'all out there looking or wanting that kind of relationship to smack you upside the head. <sighs> the universe is always conspiring in your favor. Trust in that. The universe has a plan, kids. Isn't that plan? I can't. can't even get to dead before I start crying about him. The universe has a plan, kids. And that plan is always in motion. If you want it, it's going to find you. But only after you find yourself. And to honor the other Dr. Ted, not Dr. Ted Kluntz, but Dr. Ted Mosby, little more important in our house, how I met your mother. That's the funny thing about destiny. Sometimes you're just too close to the picture to see how it all works out. But it does And it will, and you'll end up in exactly the right place at the right time and in exactly the right frame of mind, which is the real thing that you and the universe have been working on. God, I need a Kleenex. Okay. So Cupid Zero is happening with Winona and Cactus and they are the happy couple. They couldn't have gotten together a day before they did, but when it happens, bazinga, And it works out. Our lovebirds get married June 10th, 2012 in a secret wedding with only their children from previous marriages present. No drama focused on the intent of what the couple felt that day and what it was really about. And I'm 100% in for that. Nona says, I didn't want it to be about anyone but Cactus and me because to me at the end of the day, it's the children, Cactus and me. I was so concerned about making this feel special for them. Everything fell away. Wynona says her self-esteem would have plummeted if her family had been present. Yeah. Say more. If I know Ashley, she would have repositioned my dress or my mom would have given me Kleenex to stuff in my bra or told me I had something in my teeth. I just didn't want that. I just wanted to get married. Yep. And That, my sister Winona is using the tools in your toolbox. A fucking country song, amen. The newlyweds did experience some tragedy, because you don't think it all has a happy ending, right? I mean, I... I I can't. Did he die? Is that why you're crying? No, but they are motorcycling in South Dakota, and Cactus is involved in a really serious accident, resulting in one of his legs being amputated above the knee.
2: Holy shit.
1: From this tragedy, the couple is brought so much closer together. Talk about some Imago theory. Um, I get this. Like the feeling of being suddenly physically rendered as an adult will make you go back to every weird childhood thing you have because people are literally taking care of you all the time, but you're an adult. I was in a bad car accident at 24. I get this is the shittiest feeling. It's a tough situation for both patient and caregiver, but it seems these two have really found their thing in each other. Congrats! I know I'm gonna wipe away my tears. Congrats to the happy couple who just celebrated their seventh wedding anniversary on June 10th, just like a other week day. ago. Yeah. Winona is also sitting on about $20 bucks. a four-decade career in music, still putting out music, doing acting and voice work as well. She's penned a novel and a memoir. In 2005, she was awarded the USO's Merit Award for her contribution to the United States Armed Forces. And that is the Trashy Divorces Tour of one Winona Judd, but hold your horses because I'm not done. I have some takeaways from my new BFF Winona's story song episode. Number one, if we could all go on a camp therapy tour with our parents as adults and a licensed psychologist, how much better would the world be? Dr. Ted, you're doing priceless work, my friend. Winona says her biggest takeaway from Dr. Ted, and it's true. You are not responsible for what you don't know. But once you do know, you are. And that actually seems like very solid, a a very, very solid point. Yeah. Fucking life lesson. Third life lesson. Okay. I'm, this is the crying part. Tell the secret. Wait, this is the crying.
2: (laughs) What? Wow. Well, the last 15 minutes
1: have some explaining to do. (laughs) Where are the bears? Tell the secret, take the risk. It's never too late to make a new path for yourself. You see this with not just Winona, but Naomi right now, like as recently as 2018, doing some lectures on her lifelong struggle with depression and mental health. Ashley Judd is an outspoken proponent of the me too movement and kicking ass in humanitarian ways that make angels blush. The lesson here. Break the cycle of secrets and patterns and make a new script. It's going to be uncomfortable. You won't know all the words to that new script when you begin. Be brave and be kind because hell, we're all going through something. And for my new BFF, Wynonna, you're doing great. Your honesty and truth and bravado and taking what comes and landing on your own two feet Give me and all of us all the hope. If you can do it, I can do it. I believe in you. We all believe in you. (laughs) And now that I wipe away my tears, that's going to take us back to the chorus. Judd women always land on their own two feet. Did somebody in the back say bingo? I feel like that's possibly
2: a rude thing to say to Cactus these days.
1: (laughs) Cactus is doing okay. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, they've... He's La- landed on his one, two feet. <laughs> he has landed on his artificial leg. <sighs> does that uh, does that conclude your...
2: That is a terrible childhood. I had no idea. Like, the Imago theory. That Winona and Ashley Judd grew up in those circumstances.
1: Like, that is... That is terrible. No, it's terrible. But you look at how... Cause we see it. We cover two plus divorces every week. How how do you get to that place? How do you react to it? Amago theory. Ah, <sighs> imago theory. I couldn't think of a better illustration. Sure. For how childhood energy exchange imprints on what you do as an adult and what you do as an adult to overcome that. Conquer Your Demons. What kind of trash cans do you think get thrown around? Oh, God. 4.5 for Arch Kelly. Like, he would be a five if he had child molestation charges, but that's saved for old Roachy boy. Yeah. Yeah. Four and a half, five. Like, super bad trashy divorces, but tons of halos and trash, like, equals out with a super happy ending in love. I feel
2: like Naomi gets some trash cans, even though... uh... Uh, just parenting trash cans, that's
1: just terrible. But like you get Naomi in the bridge, she is to the point where she can, acknowledging and recognizing that and you're on fucking camp therapy with Dr. Ted. Like, What kid and parent can't improve by that? Okay. i gonna take a breath. How are your trash cans? I'm gonna wipe away my tears. So, you know,
2: I, um it's not a like, competition it's not a competition <laughs> it seems like it seems like Mutlang and marie and tabad like fell in love with each other and these things happen like i don't want to get like it doesn't seem like they were i don't know cheating for sports like it's i don't know it, it's not great okay, it devastated so shania twain but like three, yeah, three her... and a half okay Best friend, like calming you down on that's the f- phone while you're in New Zealand. Like that's that's backstabby. That's um, backstabby.
1: That's for the friend four. trashy divorce. It's a good point. Right? Like I'm pretty good to go with three and a half, yeah. but yeah. girl, you're in danger. Yeah, three and a half four, yeah. You count on your friends Something not like to fuck you over and fuck your husband. Kinda. Yeah. 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 Ah,
2: Stacy. Yeah. But, hey, we got to say Nashville Wife Swap this week, so that's cool. <laughs> really bringing the season to a close strong, I think. Wipe your tears away. That's a lid on season two. That is. We'll be back next week, though, with the start of season three. Doing it
1: like the Yale Daily News. That's a lid.
2: I got to get cry Now? <laughs> now? <laughs> um uh, thank you for listening we are so happy to bring trashy divorces Thanks, to you and we will be ab- back next week with the beginning of season three.
1: Oh, you thought there were tears this week Psh. get out your rainbow colored kleenex y'all it's pride week next week <laughs> doing this um in the doing meantime it in the most surprising of ways
2: in the meantime may we suggest that you keep it trashy
1: Stay single. Don't marry a dude named Roach. It's probably good advice. Or anybody named Trey. Get some therapy from Dr. Ted. That's all I got. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia. With a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa
2: O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's Store on Instagram.